0: Just inhale water until it was just at the top of his nose channel. Wow, (laughs) because nostril. I don't know. And And then just nose (laughs) channel. (laughs) Sorry. Why I'm extra laughing is that in
1: the Tudor times they thought they had nose nipples at the top in the inside. (laughs) They called them nose nipples, and then I hear nose channel. This is amazing.
0: We're doctors. I'm laughing so
1: hard. Okay. Okay. Nostrils?
0: Not quite up to the nose nipples. <laughs> okay. How do you come back from that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 84. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay, and today we are still
1: talking about opening and closing our days, but this time it's personal. This week on the show. A few minutes in the morning and evening and occasional checkups during the day are all you need to establish and keep up good grooming habits. And you. By following these simple rules of body care and grooming, you too will achieve that quality of appearance, that feeling of well-being, so important to make your dreams of happiness come true. But first, if you enjoy this episode of the Modern Lady podcast, would you please take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast? When we receive ratings and reviews, our podcast becomes more visible and easier to find for new listeners. We would also love it if you shared this episode with your friends. Let us know what you think. Your comments mean the world to us.
0: This week's shout out goes to Jillian Baldwin, who left us a comment on our Facebook page and said, quote, I can't wait to listen to the entire podcast episode. This is a wonderful podcast full of thoughtful reflection and humor. I can't get the live chicken tied to your body as a cure for illnesses out of my head. I'm currently a part-time homemaker of an adult child, former stay-at-home mom and homeschooler. I listen to your podcast on my way to work, which always puts me in the right mood for the day. I especially love your comments about history and literature. Keep up the great work, end quote. Well, thank you so much for your comment, Jillian. As Lindsay responded earlier last week, it means so much to us that you appreciate the show and that you get our sense of humor. Vintage live chicken cures forever. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or you can leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. Welcome back to part two in this five-part series on calling card
1: etiquette. Today, we are going to talk about calling card design, and let's face it, in genteel society, looks matter. In the late 18th and early 19th century, the sought-after design for both men and women was simple yet elegant. Emily Post recommended a shaded block font or engraved script, but nothing too ornate. On a man's calling card, his name was written in the center of the card, sometimes with a middle initial and sometimes not. Mr. was not written before his name. A military man would have his rank and branch included with his name, and a medical doctor would have either doctor before his name or MD following his name. All other honorary titles were left off of a man's calling card. It was not acceptable to have professor, honorable, or esquire alongside your name. The most favored style of an, was an engraved card rather than a printed one, with the engraving adding a nice texture to the card. If one couldn't afford en- engraved cards, hiring a skilled calligrapher to handwrite your cards was the next best option. If both of these options were beyond the budget, then a nicely printed card would do. Men would carry their cards in their breast pocket, but for women, their calling card carrying case would just another beautiful item to adorn herself with. Women would carry specially made cases of silver, tortoiseshell, ivory, or mother-of-pearl. As the Victorian age progressed, a new printing technology was invented, and it was called chromolithography. And this allowed for very ornate and personal designs to decorate the calling card. And women especially loved having colorful and detailed designs, often having hidden messages woven throughout the designs on the card. Traditional letterpress printers tried to keep up with this new colorful trend, and this effort was known as the artistic printing. Normally, thin pieces of rule would be used by a printer to create a straight line of wording, but in order to compete with the swirls and spirals that could be done with a lithograph, letterpress printers painstakingly bent their rulers so that they too could add wording that swirled around the card. This became known as rule bending or bending the rules in the artistic printing style. This new trend for women's calling cards during the later Victorian age resulted in showy, highly ornamented cards, garishly colored and adorned with ribbons, colored thread, scalloped edges, and even a little lift up flaps that would reveal secret messages. Regardless of the ever changing trends, one thing did remain constant, and that was the sentiment behind giving a calling card to someone. It was always a gesture of goodwill and an extension of friendship, either new or promise of continued acquaintance. Next week, we
0: will look at what different initials meant on calling cards. I keep coming back to when you were talking about like the different uh, stages of what you could afford in terms of a calling card. Mm-hmm. And like if you couldn't record, uh, if you couldn't afford the embossed kind, mm-hmm. then just a really nicely handwritten one. Mm-hmm. At what point are you just not c- considered part of the elite class anymore? That would... you wouldn't need calling cards? Or did everyone in that time, no matter your class, even the working class, use calling cards?
1: I would wonder. <laughs> The thing with so many etiquette tips is it only covers one class of people for the most part, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, what is really cool, though, and I will share on the Instagram um, account is some of these examples of some of the more like really beautiful ones, like examples mm-hmm. of all different styles. But there are some crazy ones um, of these like later Victorian ones.
0: Mm-hmm. I do like the idea of like a pop-up flap, mm-hmm. like a pop-up book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for etiquette. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Last week, we talked about the importance of establishing opening and closing routines to set up our homes for the day and why it's important that we pay attention to what can be done in these critical hours. This week, we're moving on to something a little more personal, the opening and closing of us. How we prepare ourselves in the morning and how we wind down in the evenings also plays a big role in setting the tone for the day. Right, Lindsay? That's right. But you and
1: I love researching and sharing interesting bits of history. So it wouldn't be the mm-hmm. Modern Lady podcast without us sharing some historical morning and evening routines and what <laughs> they looked like before we, you know, jump back to our current lives. So, oh, of course, Michelle, <sighs> you ready to journey back with me to Tudor England? <laughs> oh, I am so ready. Tudor times.
0: Let's go. <laughs> Let's go.
1: Well, the period ran from 1485 until 1603. And aside from a few fairly big cities, most people in England during the Tudor period lived an agricultural existence, which involved having animals. And many awoke to the sound of the cock crowing before the morning sun peaked its way over the horizon. Michelle, I found out when researching historical morning routines that I would have been known as a slugabed in the Tudor times.
0: <laughs> the what a wonderfully complimentary name. Right. Whatever could it mean? That's right. The slugabeds, like me, wouldn't wake up
1: until the morning light was peeking in. These people, they were so lazy sleeping in until that morning light peeked in. <laughs> So in summer days, the day could begin at 4 a.m. And in the winter, people mm. slept in um, as late as 7 a.m. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so something interesting to note. Uh, and I talked a bit about beds in last week's episode, but it, it just goes to show you again, like the bed's importance in, in the routine. And this mm. is partially due to the fact that Windows didn't really have glass in the Tudor period, aside from like maybe the odd castle or the extremely wealthy. Even most upper middle class families did not have glass on their windows. A piece of oil cloth covered wooden slats in the window so that a little light could come in, but then you could have a little bit of wind protection. Also, the idea of separate bedrooms and privacy was unheard of. So your bed was partitioned off, not just for privacy, but also for warmth. You would be sharing your room with the servants and all of your children. In the biggest houses, there might be two bedrooms and it would have all of the women in one and all of the men in the other. And that would be all the women from the homeowner and the servants all the way down to the children. (sighs) Curtains weren't generally used on windows. They were hung around beds. And this wasn't just to make the bed look fancy like in today, but it helped keep the heat around the sleeping people and help muffle the sounds of a room full of snoring people. Now, when they would wake up, they would start their day with prayer. And although this prayer was prayed out loud, it was a very personal and private prayer in the morning. In 1577, Hugh Rhodes told his children, and I quote, At five of the clock, without delay, use commonly to rise and give God thanks for thy good rest when thy openest thy eyes. So as I mentioned before, privacy wasn't really possible in the Tudor home, and this would have made their morning routine quite awkward. Um, Generally, people Mm -hmm. did wash themselves a little bit before getting dressed, but obviously this would have been done in the presence of others. They would take care of their hair, skin, and teeth. The medical advice of the day warned people of the dangers of hot water. Their knowledge of science taught that hot water opened the pores and that when the pores were open, dangerous diseases could invade the body. Cold water Mm. would be used for washing. I'm just still trying to picture like the no glass on the windows and then the ice cold water, right? I'm shivering just Mm. listening to you. (laughs) And they would also use a linen cloth, dry or wet, to like scrub off dead skin. Um, But the main thing is that they used clothing to keep their bodies clean. So it it prevented people from, and I quote, this is from a a poem of that era called In Praise of Clean Linen. It would prevent people from stinking like a beast. Now, (laughs) the add away with words. That's right. That beautiful 17th century poetry. Um, The average person would have one clean shirt to wear, one in the wash, and one reserved for Sundays or other special occasions. A wealthy person owned enough clothing that they could change at least once per day, especially as they became sweaty. So again, versus like washing the body, they more so focused on putting clean clothes on. Now, what's really interesting is that historian Ruth Goodman, who... I just idolize I love her right she is the famous Tudor monastery farm woman and Victorian farm and Edwardian farm and so she exclusively wore Tudor period clothing every layer of it and worked hard on a farm for the six month period while they were filming the series a Tudor monastery farm. And while she washed with cold water some of her body parts during her morning wash, she found out that just by wearing those clean linens as underclothes and changing those regularly, you could stay smelling pretty good. She would ask the film crew. um, She called them their more uh, modern sensitivities, how she was smelling. (laughs) And then a colleague of hers tried it the other way around. He washed his body regularly doing a full modern shower and everything. But then he put on the same clothes day after day and he ended up smelling way worse than Ruth did when she had only minimally washed her body but changed her her Uh. undergarments. So as you can guess, odor was a big deal in Tudor times. Um, They associated odor with germs and with evil spirits. So it makes sense then that perfume in the form of essential oils was a pretty big part of their morning routine. In 1603, at least 10,000 people in England could afford to own their own perfume. Lavender, rose, violet, and rosemary were common sense. In order to prevent bad breath and tooth decay, Tudor people rinsed their mouths with cold water and used instruments like toothpicks after eating they would also collect candle soot on a smooth reflective surface like glass or an earthenware pot and then they would rub the soot onto their teeth with their and their gums with their fingers apparently this was actually quite effective at cleaning and polishing the teeth i will tell you that i just tried that in researching for this episode <laughs> i lit a candle and i held a mirror beside oh. it worried i would <laughs> set the mirror on fire and i tried to and i it was not gathering soot like in the olden days. Oh. So it didn't fully work, but I haven't given up. So I'll let you guys know if I actually do polish my teeth with soot.
0: Well, I was just going to say that is a big trend right now, or at least it was a year or two ago, Um, using the charcoal. The charcoal yep right yep. w- would that have been similar then to the i think tutors? so um
1: and just a word of warning the charcoal my mom runs the dental office and i was doing it for a while it can severely damage your enamel so it can polish oh. those teeth up but it really does remove the top layer of your teeth by
0: stripping everything That's away Right. <laughs> so
1: i think soot like you know very fine silty material versus like a little mm. bit grainier charcoal might have uh, been a little bit better an essential item that everybody owned was a hair comb. Combing one's hair was an essential part of their morning routine. The vast majority were made of boxwood and had teeth on both sides. One side having the larger comb teeth spaced widely apart and the other side having a thin, narrow teeth packed closely together so that people could remove lice from their hair, which was obviously very common. Washing hair was extremely unusual They thought it was a high-risk activity, again, to open up those pores on your head, you know, so close to your brain. Uh, And they really thought that would make you very, very sick. So basically, we'll just stop there, and you are now pretty ready for the day as a Tudor woman.
0: Wow. Okay. So when I was doing a little bit of looking into what the morning routines would have been for the 40s, the 50s, even into the early 60s, I noticed actually quite a lot of similarities from what you said Mm. the the emphasis was on cleanliness and neatness um they also mentioned in those you know institutional videos we heard a clip of that in the opening um health and posture also factored really heavily into everything so it really seemed like uh, in terms of instruction on hygiene anyways that everything had to do with proper grooming Mm -hmm. first thing in the morning so if you didn't have a handle on your overall hygiene um, the message was that nothing else would really matter it wouldn't help you (laughs) to put makeup on an unclean face um, just to use an example so washing um, your face was really important to do first thing in the morning if you weren't having your morning shower or morning bath Uh, a lot of these videos seem to recommend taking a daily shower or a bath but it really depended whether they said morning or evening. So I don't know. You mentioned, Lindsay, mm-hmm. um, the morning mm-hmm. bath yeah. right, was quite common. So maybe that's more common. Um, but while you were in the bath or afterwards, you would wash your face. And soap and warm water was traditionally enough. Um, face cloth maybe for exfoliation, and um, I laughed because I was watching this with my daughter in the room, <laughs> my almost nine-year-old daughter, and they were explaining that you wanted to be vigorous but not too harsh, but you did want to like intentionally wash your face and not just sloppily like uh, gloss a cloth over your face and be done with it. Mm. And I just kind of side-eyed my children, and because <laughs> I'm always telling them that's not washing your face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So after you exfoliate it, then you would just um, maybe apply a a very light application of moisturizer if it's needed. And then, you know, certainly absolutely no makeup until all of that thorough cleansing was done. So apart from your face, um, part of the morning routine, and this was stressed in almost all of the articles or videos that I would watch from that era, was to clean your fingernails. Mm. Like it was repeated over and over again and how the nail brush is an essential item Again, a little bit about painting your fingernails. Uh, really interesting about what color, depending on how your hands look. <laughs> so, w- <laughs> which 10 Oh, you're going to trigger me. You know, I have tree frog
1: hands, right? Have you? <laughs> the minute I apply color to my nails, they look exactly like a tree frog with the big balls on the end. <laughs> so, I'm a little stressed right now about what you're going to say. <laughs>
0: Um, so, they would recommend um, a, a clear polish. Good. <laughs> I do that. So, yes. as to not <laughs> draw attention. Also, if you do bite your nails mm. first, they really very strongly encourage you to work to try to quit that habit. But if you can't, certainly don't paint your nails mm. because that would also draw attention. So, I just love what I loved is this intentional uh, focusing on finding out what is going to enhance your appearance right and uh, one of the videos talks about it being your duty to keep up your uh, cleanliness and your appearance and how it is a courtesy to other people I really love that and we talked about a little bit about that when we mentioned charm I think it was almost two Mm -hmm. years ago in our first season right that charm is the ability to put others at ease around you Mm -hmm. And not only can you not do that if, you know, as in Tudor times, your odor may offend. (laughs) (laughs) Hard to make people comfortable when that happens. Uh, But also, too, if you yourself aren't put together and you're constantly fiddling because you're uncomfortable, that also kind of projects agitation to other people around you, too. Mm -hmm. So it was very interesting to me that even these grooming and these hygiene tips, they went beyond just looking put together, which was important, but it also always extended out to how it would make the people in your family feel, your classmates in school. Like it was very much an, a focus on you for the intention of other people. Uh, I really love that.
1: And something that jumped out at me. So when you were talking about exfoliating or, you know, priming the surfaces before you could put the makeup on or something like that, I think that that's right. a really interesting um, step up here from like the Tudor and Victorian times when they wouldn't wear nail polish, or makeup, right? This is kind of that bridge piece where. They're absolutely right. Whether we want to admit it or not, you know, if you, if you haven't been taking care of your skin, makeup can magnify that. Or like my hands are Mm. awful. They really are. I never pay attention to my hands and slapping some quick nail polish on just, yeah, it just highlights those ragged nails. It's so true. And so what I love is that it still has that emphasis, like in Tudor times on hygiene and that sort of thing, but it was also kind of that step then that you've got to make sure you've mastered that hygiene before you go to that next step of um, the
0: glamorous look, that really comes in right in the 50s yes and that's it, i thought the same thing too because even fast forwarding again into our modern times mm-hmm. i feel like that perhaps the emphasis uh the common emphasis on hygiene and grooming is somewhat lessened compared to the beauty yeah oh absolutely aspect of it yeah. right yeah. Uh, So it's almost like it's completely pendulum swung the opposite way. And it is very interesting to consider how we could actually possibly spend less time or money on the cosmetic aspect. But perhaps still have a similar result just by reshaping the focus once again on the grooming aspect of everything, too. Well, you've convinced me. Honestly, this is like a bit of a wake up call for me to want to spend more time
1: doing those grooming practices versus slapping some lipstick on a pig, as they say, (laughs) before I run (laughs) out the door for school. (laughs)
0: which is also sometimes how I clean my house like if company's coming over in 5 minutes I'm like this will do but yeah so i i really i really love that too and i know that we talk often as well about how the how taking care of the exterior of things really does something to your interior state yeah we might go into that in a little bit but it did say in one of the videos and i laughed because it talked about the homemaker mm-hmm. it talked about um and i quote even mother keeps up her appearance around the house for that keeps up her spirits. Even mother end quote. Even mother around the house. <laughs> and funny. I laughed because I'm like, but they're right. It does keep up my spirits when I've when I've taken the time to groom properly, feel clean, feel invigorated. You do have a, a bit of an energy and a pep to your step that may not have been there before. Well, Michelle, you're segueing perfectly into
1: the modern day, right? We've started talking here mm-hmm. about, you know, what is still similar between the Tudor times right through the 1950s and now. And there are some differences, like what you're saying. I totally agree that there's more of an emphasis on the cosmetic side versus the uh, grooming side, which are two different things. Um, mm-hmm. So I looked at my own routine and something jumped <laughs> out at me. And it's that I, I have the routine I'd like to have and then the routine I actually have. And... <laughs> (laughs) This is not the case for how I run my house, right? I I take care of my house in a very different way than I take care of my person, than I take care of myself. And I know Mm. we can't do it all, right? So we're definitely going to emphasize some different aspects of our own lives, things that we enjoy more. And I enjoy cleaning my house more than I enjoy cleaning my nails. But
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um, I thought it was important to be honest with myself and transparent with you guys about what I actually do versus what I'd like to do. (laughs) So what I actually do, um, and this is now after 13 years, um, I can actually wake up a little bit before my kids. I'm still... Inconsistent with the setting the alarm and getting up, you know, an hour before, but I still naturally Mm -hmm. wake up even 10 minutes before my kids do. Um, that was after enduring, you know, that decade of being awakened (laughs) at the crack of dawn by crying and kids that Mm -hmm. immediately need your attention. Like you have to jump up and be on the ball. Um, I found it was really hard to start my day in a good mood when I was in that phase. So I want the moms who are listening that are still in that, you know, that season of their life to understand that. It's really hard to be jolted awake and have to take care of other people immediately, right? They've peed the bed. Mm-hmm. There's some. One time yes. my kids woke me up because they had done a science experiment in the bathroom. <laughs> and those were literally their words. Yep. So <laughs> those things don't quite wake me up anymore. But anyways, I will say too, and I've said this before, I did co-sleep with my babies. So I also had... It it was always the big kids waking me up with trouble. I was gently awakened always by a baby, you know, seeking to nurse and those mm. sweet ears cuddling. So my, my life is definitely different now with that. Now, um, I have also mentioned before that I usually sleep in the same clothes that I wore the day before <laughs> and will likely wear the next morning. Um, I have a uniform. Of a black tank top, black leggings. I put my apron on, and then I put a cardigan over top. Um, if I have mm-hmm. time to straighten my hair, that will last actually, um, and I only have to wash it every fourth day. But if I do my hair curly, it's natural. If I embrace my natural curls, I do have to wash that every day. I don't have to do anything to it; it just dries mm-hmm. curly. But I do have to wash mm-hmm. it every day, so it's that constant struggle of, oh, am I <laughs> which one am I right least lazy about? Um, hmm. And then in terms of makeup, um, oh, Michelle, I used to wear so much makeup. It would take me like an hour and a half just to do my makeup. I looked like a corpse. It was insane. Um, but now and, you know. At that point, like so many young women, I wore it like a mask. I really did feel like I had to like hide right. myself. But like how, I guess how we we're talking about with, with grooming or hygiene versus, you know, covering ourselves. I now put on 10 minutes worth of makeup. I just do a little bit and I finally embraced my freckles and my wrinkles and um, I feel polished. And like it's finally like a reflection mm-hmm. of myself versus trying to project something else. Um, mm-hmm. and then I put on, like I said before, I put on my apron as part of my uniform. That is actually, I'd say the most critical action I do that turns my brain on to the fact that the the morning has started mm-hmm. for me. Um, now, obviously the ideal would be the things we've talked about many times, the waking up for the kids to pray and do spiritual reading, uh, to wear a, a pretty dress for the day. And the one thing that I would like, and I might do this is I feel like I don't put on a pretty dress because. I wear bare feet like most of the year and the idea of being in a dress, but not having shoes on, it just doesn't make sense to me. And so Mm. I either have to go buy a pair of house shoes, which as Canadians we don't do. Um, But yeah, I might buy myself a little heel to wear during the day um, so that I feel more polished. I just feel like my bare feet go better
0: with leggings. (laughs) Mm-hmm. yeah I see what you mean because mm-hmm. as soon as you said house shoe I was like well I wear slippers mm. but I I realize now you're not talking about slippers yeah no I did buy a <laughs> like nice actual shoe yeah I
1: bought I yeah. tried to do it with slippers but it's still I I like a heel I, if I'm gonna wear a dress mm-hmm. I want a bit of a heel so that's just something I'm mm-hmm. considering
0: what's your um yeah. morning routine like well, first, I was just going to mention about the hair washing mm-hmm. thing and the frequency mm-hmm. because that was something in the nineteen forties and fifties I noticed too is that they didn't wash their hair more than once uh, once a week mm-hmm. it looked like um and then one video said once every two weeks, wow. <laughs> which I was like, "Oh, it's better than the Tudor times of maybe never <laughs> <laughs> this is true see we are we are evolving uh-huh. here through the ages. <laughs> um yeah I will say too like washing my hair is not a daily thing for me either Mm. for my morning routine I yeah I really do nothing to my person until I have ingested coffee Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah and I talked about how I, I like to do my some of my work and certainly my prayers before I begin my day but it it does help to kind of close the laptop and then go upstairs and before I really do anything further with the kids or like get breakfast ready or anything. I try to do some of these grooming things. um, And and really it's not much different from the 40s -hmm. or the 50s. I wash my face um, with soap and warm water. Um, I use a very light moisturizer. And then I just apply a little bit of light makeup. And then like you, I throw on my apron to begin the day. And that's a That's a routine that I have really come to really love, not only for its practical nature of keeping my clothes cleaner as I move throughout the day and preparing food and cleaning the house, but it does also put me in the mind frame of I have to work now. Like it is kind of strange to sit down on the couch and leisure with your apron on. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't flow, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's such a great point.
1: Okay. So we've, let's say we've done our mornings now we've gone through the entire day and it's time to wrap things up. And so we're going to go back to Tudor times now, um, just very briefly, actually, because there isn't a lot on evening routines. And I suspect that that's because they were just so exhausted trying to stay alive <laughs> that they just fell into bed. Um, But after they would secure their livestock and their house, right? Again, we talked before about how important it was to secure your house. They were legit scared of the dark um, and then the things that would go bump in the night uh, the next thing everybody would do is they would say their prayers um, as a family and individually mm. they would thank god for their day and they would ask for his protection throughout the night uh, they called it setting their spiritual affairs in order and i love that and it's something that mm. we're called to do as catholics that i forget to do all the time um, but it's that little daily examination of conscience where you go over and you go okay have I sinned today? Okay. If I haven't sinned, you know, in the proper sense of the world, a word, where have I maybe let myself down? Where have I let God down? You go over that. And mm. then you ask for forgiveness and it's like, you've cleaned the house of your soul and you can come down to that mm-hmm. clean kitchen in the morning, <laughs> but it's are right. clean year. You're, you're starting yeah. fresh. Right. <laughs> um. So I think that that was their main thing and they'd go to bed. So I ended up then w- jumping forward a little bit to the Victorian times to see if they had a different type of evening routine. So unlike the Tudors, the Victorians loved a good hot bath. It was a luxury, And if it were to happen at all, it happened in the evening. And I was waiting to share this with you based on what we were saying with the 1950s women Mm -hmm. and when they would have their bath. But in Victorian times, Mm -hmm. the only way they got hot water was by using the water from something called a copper, a large copper vat Mm -hmm. that they would stoke a fire and they would heat up water. And in order to get enough hot water to actually bathe in, it would pretty much take the whole day, um, you know, using it and refilling it, that sort of thing, to have a bath. So. Huh. They would have a ba- bath in the hot water. Obviously, we all know the stories of the whole family sharing the water, which would likely have happened. Now, a lot of families, even the wealthiest families, didn't actually own a bathtub because they, even in the wealthy houses, they didn't have washrooms yet. It just wasn't part of house design. And so mm. um, they there was companies that you could rent a little washing tub from or a little bathtub and they would come and deliver it to your house and you could have it on like a weekly or monthly subscription business where they um, pr- would come. And deliver, and then take it back with them. But bathing was huge in Victorian times. But it wasn't just for cleanliness, and it wasn't about relaxing. It was about health. They really believed that bathing in all temperatures of water, in lakes, rivers, in the ocean, all of these things could really help contribute to the overall health as a person. Um, they call this hydrotherapy, or you may have heard the term mm. taking the waters. Uh, from back Mm -hmm. in the day, they really did think it could cure anything. And just 10 minutes from my house, I don't know if you're familiar with this building, Michelle, but we had a world famous hotel that has a natural spring that's still there behind it in the hill and the hotel yeah yeah and i'll tell you what it is in a second and the hotel was constantly booked with victorians um who would take the waters they would drink the water and they would bathe in it and these waters usually were tested because they had high like mineral counts in them Mm -hmm. uh they probably didn't taste very good in fact some of these i was this one named the sulfur springs hotel or the one down the street. This area actually had quite a few because of these springs. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: But people would report feeling a lot better. But I think the truth is it was just time away in a hotel. A lot more fresh air. You know, that kind of thing. Mm. The, the relaxing part of it. Um, that hotel is the, the Preston Springs. And it's... Um, it's going to be demolished right now. They've been trying to save it for yes. years, but yeah, it's it's really neat. If you look at any of these old hotels um, and looking at people taking the waters, there was this this idea of the public bathhouses and a whole bunch of stuff happening involving bathing in the Victorian age. The other thing that I think that was really different, a huge change that happened in the evenings in the Victorian life was that people stayed up later because for the first time ever you had artificial light, Mm -hmm. right? You Mm -hmm. didn't have to wake up with the sun and go to bed when the sun went down. So they were also then eating their meals later and later, especially the the wealthy. They sometimes wouldn't start dining until 11 at night. Um, And then at the very end of the Victorian period, the cost then to light your house became very affordable. So everybody started staying up late and sitting up and talking. But I mean, for good or bad i don't know if that's the best thing right and our bodies forever Mm -hmm. changed how we you know react to artificial light or against the natural rhythms of the day
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that's really interesting about the natural rhythms of the daylights and how we've shifted from that just with the introduction of artificial light Mm -hmm. but even up into the 1940s and 50s one thing that really keeps coming up in their evening routines is the absolute importance of getting an adequate night's sleep, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like that came up over and over again about how the health of having enough sleep really makes a difference to your grooming. Once again, it was uh, included in one of those pillars of health. (laughs) Triggered. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Triggered. Um, once again, most of the people featured in these videos, um, in these institutional videos, which were for high schoolers, right, mm-hmm. if you think about it, was directed towards teenagers. Um, they did not have the housewifely duties or the mothering duties that many of us um, in this in this podcast community might have. So take it with a grain of salt. But it is scientific that, you know, having adequate amounts of sleep is ideally beneficial for your health. So we can't really refute that. But before they would go to bed, they would basically, I found that they would just mirror their morning routines. Once again, the emphasis being on cleanliness um, and neatness, even going to bed. So they would wash their face. They'd follow the similar instructions from the morning, but with the addition of removing their makeup, that was a huge thing. And all the videos directed towards the women was to remove all the makeup thoroughly and to do this, many of them used cold cream mm-hmm. and tissue for this. So then that made me look up what cold cream was, mm-hmm. because I know we still have it, right? Yes. Like, they still sell cold cream today. I use cold cream every night. Do you really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, then you you know all of this already.
1: <laughs> it's just because I'm like, think it's
0: 1955 still. <laughs> That's right. Well, actually, this is hilarious, because I do have written in my notes, it made me laugh. Um, there's a Huffington Post article on cold cream mm-hmm. and its tagline said quote centuries later and we're still slathering ourselves with this stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> end quote so yes we are <laughs> Lindsay says <laughs> <laughs> but basically if you're like me and you don't know what cold cream is it's basically water emulsified in some kind of oil mm-hmm. right Lindsay, yes. i have that right yep. yeah and traditionally it would have been beeswax or olive oil and today it's more fancy oil I guess jojoba oil whatever that is when is I saw jojoba. oh sorry the... oh I'm so uncultured sorry jojoba oil I think mine is mineral yeah. oil so not as fancy and probably very bad oh. for your face Okay, well, uh, yeah, the dermatologist did say that you can still use it. Um, Probably best if you're not prone to acne, mm. um, because it is quite heavy, mm-hmm. right? And it, it's a bit more of a greasy texture, mm-hmm. but it is still a really good remedy to dry, irritated skin, because it does have all of that oil in it. So that was a little cold cream diversion. Now back to our nails. Once again, um, they want you to look at your nails again. Make sure you, you're you washing out all the dirt that got caught up in there during the day um, with a brush. And if you are so inclined, they recommend um, once a week manicures with a day or two leaving your nails bare um, per week. And that's so that it stops your nails from drying out. And also because nails can really give you cues towards your overall health Mm -hmm, right so they want at at least a day or two where you're not painting your nails um in order to i guess check in (laughs) check in with your nail beds (laughs) Um, before you head to bed one of the last things that they recommend you do before getting into your pajamas is brushing out your hair um to release uh some of the natural oils to get some of the dead skin and dirt out before you put your head to your clean pillow And then, yeah, you get into your rest. And like I said, they really recommended uh, trying to intentionally settle down and not so much distract yourself when you get into bed, but really focus on winding down, maybe with prayers, with um, reflections or uh, basically trying to fall asleep, but not trying too hard because you can't (laughs) ever fall asleep if you're trying too hard, of course.
1: Okay, so now it's back to you and I and what we do. And it comes back to baths for me because I actually hate baths and I have tried for years to enjoy a long bath. We actually have a beautiful, large bathtub in our ensuite and it's like never used. Now this is in direct contrast to my mother. I do want to say this. My best friend still laughs because you can clock my mom. You could set a clock by my mom's <laughs> bath time. She'll still call me and be like, is your mom in the bath right now? I'm like, yep, you know it. Um, everybody <laughs> knew my mom would be in the bath by around 730 every night. Now this actually ended up being a really special time for me as a kid. I had two brothers. And so between my brothers and my dad, we didn't get a lot of like girl time. And so my poor mother, I just, I can see this now being a mom. She would probably just be about to crawl into that hot water and she'd hear my feet coming down the hall. And I come in and I would sit in the bathroom while she's in the bath, not giving her any privacy, talking her ear off. And she was always so gracious about it. And this happened until I was 24, like until I was married. And I would always sit in there when she had her bath. And I just really cherish that time together and i really am thankful that we had that kind of sacred time in the bathroom without the boys coming in um mm. but yeah i don't bathe so i just had to say that about an uh, an evening routine the biggest thing about our evening routine is our prayer life right we do about 40 minutes mm-hmm. of praying as a family we clean as i said uh, in the last episode and then i wash my face with my dove soap and my cold cream, which is Nivea. Mm -hmm. Um, I've used Nivea for 30 years. Um, I've used Dove Soap and Nivea. My mom used Dove Soap and Nivea and her mom used Dove Soap and Nivea. And, you know, I've tried many a different product and routine. If anybody will recall the Korean beauty routine that I tried for a while for the uh, podcast. And I always go back to the Dove Soap Mm -hmm. and Nivea cream. Then I crawl into bed and Um, You know, I have to read my Kindle every single night and that's how Mm -hmm. I finally wind down. Even if, if I don't pick up my Kindle and read it, you should take me to the hospital because something is seriously Mm. wrong. I have to do that. It's the one thing I'd save if there was a house fire and that's how I wrap up my night.
0: Mm hmm. I think a really interesting point about the evening routine is just, we talked about this last week. I seem to focus more on the house and getting it set Mm -hmm. up for the day. And that relaxes me like more than almost any other self-care I can do. Like that closes your brain down, right? Because that's what we're talking about here
1: is like the routines. Mm -hmm. What we're trying to do is connect how you open and close your, your brain, your day, your house, like they're all integrated. And so Mm -hmm. just like what you're saying, yeah, if I want to be relaxed, All of those other things have to be in place. And then that's my self-care. Then I relax.
0: Right. So I read something online and researching for this show, which I thought was really poignant. And what I think really kind of sums up what we're trying to say about the importance of specifically this episode of opening and closing routines for ourselves and our person and it was this article that was talking about how cleanliness and good hygiene is a big part of recognizing the dignity of the person, of your person, of our person, right? Mm. And today, a lot of emphasis is put on recognizing the dignity of others. And that is so essential, you know, to treat others with respect and to care um, and because they are deserving of that in their identity as sons and daughters of God. However, I think this article was right in suggesting that we may forget about treating ourselves with dignity (laughs) and that part of that is proper care and attention to our health and to our appearance. I think we can be afraid um, often that if we even have the thought to shift our focus to the proper care and management of our appearance, that it's somehow vanity Right. Mm-hmm. But I, I think there is a balance and that we either don't think about it at all or we don't want to steer too closely into being vain. So I found this to be a very striking thought that true, you know. An overemphasis might lead you down that road. But after watching all these institutional videos and doing research and hearing about past generations, I don't know if we even come close today to the level of care and attention that our parents or our grandparents, etc. did. And so I just really loved that shifting the mind frame to the opening and closing routine as a kind of a coming back to this truth and this knowledge of who I am and my own identity as a person worthy of dignity and respect and care and who I am in the eyes of God who created me and who gave me this body and so it is so worth and uh, it's so worth it to look after ourselves properly and attentively. Writer Gretchen Rubin famously
1: wrote, The days are long, but the years are short. And I think most people, especially mothers with young children, are cut right through when they hear those words. It's one of those things that we all know, but we don't really know until it's too late. Mm. It can seem like we go through years when the day passes in a flurry of activity and the morning and night are not even separate things at all, but just this slushy puddle of exhausted hours that we just have to endure. And the idea of intentionally carving out time to give anything back to ourselves to our husbands, to God, seems like just too much to bear. But what you might be too tired to see at the time in your life, at that time, is the sun always rises and the sun always sets. And regardless of how your day starts and ends, nature gives us a natural beginning and a natural ending of every single day. And I suspect that if most of us really took a look into our mornings and our evenings, we would see the faintest wisp of a routine. And that's enough to start with. Ask yourself what you'd like to do in the morning and how you'd like to feel before you crawl into bed every day. If studying what morning and evening routines look like in the past has taught us anything, it's that they didn't have the luxury of having a routine in the same sense that we do. Their lives were so utilitarian and they were just so focused on staying alive every day that I'm not sure that they even took the time to notice the sun rising or the sun setting. We can do this, and this ability to have some control over how we spend those long hours of the day. The chance we have to start each day with purpose and to fall into bed feeling peaceful is a gift that we might not notice until these short years have flown by. While watching beautiful YouTubers take their makeup off while talking about their evening routines can be enjoyable, you and I both know that just like when we talk about the opening and closing of our houses, it isn't just about making the bed. The opening and closing of ourselves for the day will never just be about beauty routines
0: okay it's time for our what we're loving this week segment of the show so lindsay what have you been loving this week well in my continued search for solid
1: family friendly murder shows Uh, and and period pieces. Um, I stumbled across a show set in 1912 England called An Inspector Calls, and I found it on BritBox. Mm. Have you heard of this one? No, I don't think so. Okay. It was filmed in 2015. I'm like, this looks perfect. The description mentioned how an upper class family's fancy dinner was interrupted by a man who was investigating the death of a young woman. And then it features his subsequent questioning of the family. It sounds perfect, right? Mm
0: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, as we quickly realized, this was no ordinary country house murder or death story at first we weren't even sure that we liked it uh it, it seemed obvious and it was kind of boring it was dragging a little bit but the acting and the design overall design were really well done so we kind of just kept watching it and I'm so glad that we did because there is a twist that we didn't see coming mm. and it left us a little shocked and a little sad and the big thing is it sparked a conversation between Jason and I a conversation about class relations and about the interconnectedness of all of us and that's the point of the story and this began as a play and in 1945, and then it was first released as a film in 1954. And again, this is the 2015 version. Mm -hmm. Um, And Inspector Calls was very popular on stage for decades, actually, until like the late 60s, 70s, 80s, that that period drama kind of fell out of favor. Um, Now, with a renewed love for the period pieces, and especially those featuring the upper class, and everybody loves a good murder or death, um, this work really does stand the test of time. And the message in it is really, really worth it um, as you watch through the slow buildup. So you have to watch an inspector calls. Perfect.
0: And what have you been loving this week? So I know you have mentioned this show before Lindsay and we did watch a couple of seasons of it last year and love them but for some strange reason we forgot to finish Line of Duty. No. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's I like know. the most cliffhangery show in the world. <laughs> it is. And this boggles our minds because we are totally sucked in once again and mm-hmm. I I try not to repeat um, your recommendations for mm. my what I'm loving this week but I Mm -hmm. can't deny that it is what we're really loving (laughs) that's awesome so if you missed Lindsay's previous recommendation of the show line of duty follows the investigations of the anti-corruption unit of a British police department and like you said this show does suspense so well there are actually times that I feel my heart (laughs) racing Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm sitting on the couch and I can't breathe Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if you are looking for a new show that you won't be able to wait to get back to at the end of the day, cougar down to line of duty and you won't regret it. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at Sachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at Lindsay Homemaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and we will see you next time.